0: Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. Anybody thankful for the great I am? Jesus said, I am the living water. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He's the all-sufficient one. He's the creator God. He's the God of the heavens and the earth. And he ought to hear our loudest praise and our loudest worship today because he is worthy of it all. He's the great I am. Whatever you need, that's what he is. He says, I am the great I am. It's the last Sunday of 2019. Are you excited? be a lot of different places right now, but I'm glad that you're in the house of God, that you're in church today. Somebody told me that the Packers are playing right now. (laughs) Let's have a word of prayer for the Packers real quick. Just kidding. I believe that you're in the right place today. And I'm looking forward to getting into God's word, and I'm looking forward to uh, the next several weeks as we launch into 2020, a new decade. And at Rock Hill, we like to say that the future is bright and that the best is yet to come, and that we're believing God for big things and for great things. And I'm looking forward to getting into God's Word today. January 12th, Vision Sunday. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, are you going to Vision Sunday? All right, we we had about 30% participation there, so we'll try again. Everybody look to your other neighbor and say, how about you? you? Going to Vision Sunday? Very good, very good. It's going to be awesome, and I'm going to be sharing a little bit of the vision of where we're going as a church in 2020, and I have an announcement on Vision Sunday that's going to be huge. It's going to be a big, big announcement that I'm excited. I almost wanted to say it right now, but I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it for Vision Sunday, Vision Sunday, January 12th. Don't miss it. Uh, we have all kinds of fun things planned, and I'm looking forward to that day. Thanks for being here. You can go ahead and find a seat today. And if you have a Bible today, you can go ahead and grab it. And we're going to be in the New Testament book of Acts, Acts chapter number three. So if you have a Bible, you can grab that, Acts chapter number three. If you don't have a Bible today, we should have most of the verses here on the screen in a moment. And as we quickly approach 2020, I'd like to bring a message today that I'm calling Marks of a Movement marks of a movement. And as we start 2020, we want to start with a little bit of forward motion, a little bit of momentum. And so today we're going to talk about marks of a movement. If you're ready, would you say amen? amen. Acts chapter 3. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? Verse number one says this. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, everybody say Beautiful, Beautiful. to ask alms of them which entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked in alms, and Peter, fastening his eyes upon him, with John, said, Look on us. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, Look at me. He says, Look on us. Verse 5, and he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement of that which happened unto him. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. And God, thank you for this opportunity to come together and to worship you today. Thank you for the songs that we've already uh, sang for your glory today. Lord, thank you for the lyrics that directed our hearts and Attention to you. And God, I pray that for the next few minutes we will be able to focus on your word today. And God, I pray that we can learn some things that would be beneficial for us and edifying for us. God, I pray that we can close out this decade strong and uh, that we would close out 2019 in a great way and that we would start 2020 with the right focus and with the right priorities and seeking first the kingdom of God. And God, I pray that you would be with us over the next few minutes as we look to your word today. And I pray that we can be doers of the word and not just hearers only. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. How many of you remember your first experience of learning how to ride a bike? Anybody remember that experience? And uh, this past Christmas, my son Luke, uh, he received a bike for Christmas from his grandparents, from grandma and grandpa. I believe we have a picture this morning. This is Luke and uh, his grandpa, and uh, he got a bike, and uh, he calls that bike the Red Racer, and uh, he's excited about that, that Red Racer, which is a major upgrade because the bike that he learned to ride a bike on was a pink princess bike from his sisters, and so now he's very excited to have the Red Racer, and he likes to go really, really fast, and Luke and I, we have this kind of special vernacular when we talk about Speed. When we talk about how fast things go, we kind of have our own language. And and, uh, the fastest known measurement of speed for Luke and I is not lightning speed. It's not uh, light speed. The fastest speed is Luke speed. And uh, I always say, hey, Luke, whenever I want him to run really fast, I say, hey, you got to run. You got to run Luke speed. And uh, Daniel, if you can grab that that bike that's over there. And so sure, you can ride it on out, Daniel. And uh, so 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 right now, Luke is learning how to ride a bike and uh, he knows how to ride a bike, but he needs a little bit of help. Um, in, certain, in certain areas and at certain times. And I brought a bike with me this morning. And uh, let's give it up for Daniel and this beautiful bike. And uh, I want to pause for a minute. I want to commend our church and, and our church's generosity over the last several weeks. We've had uh, many different opportunities to give and to participate in something that's bigger than us. And uh, we've had a canned food drive. We had our special Christmas offering last week, and God blessed in a tremendous way with our Christmas offering. And uh, we've had a toy drive, been able to donate uh, dozens and dozens of presents to children in our community. And in addition, we've been able to partner with a nonprofit organization and donate uh, 10 bikes to children in our community, and this is one of them. So, So, yeah, I think that's worth celebrating. And so Luke, he's learning how to ride a bike, and uh, and uh, he knows he knows how to ride a bike. He likes to go fast, but one thing that he needs help with is getting started. And uh, when he wants to get started, sometimes the bike sits up a little high for him. And so uh, he, needs, he needs me to kind of push him a little bit in the back and give him just a little bit of momentum. And I'll push him a little bit. Once he has a little bit of momentum, uh, then he's off and running. He's good to go. Uh, but he needs a little bit of that, that push, that nudge, that, that movement in order to uh, give him momentum. Because you can't have momentum without first having movement. And so Luke needs a little bit of movement uh, to gain that momentum. And I thought about that. And so often in life, we struggle with uh, those first initial steps of our faith. We struggle with just kind of gaining that little bit of forward motion, and we want to set uh, New Year's resolutions, and we want to develop healthy habits, but we kind of, we we start out with that faith process, and we start out on that faith journey, and then it gets a little bit wobbly because it's unfamiliar, and many times we just give up. And rather than have that forward motion, we kind of just uh, stay comfortable at a standstill, uh, not moving forward, not having uh, a movement and momentum spiritually in our lives. And the Bible has much to say about this. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse number 6, the Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, speaking to the children of Israel, he's saying, ye have dwelt long enough in this mount." Hey, you've been in this place long enough. It's time to move forward. It's time to gain some ground. It's time to uh, get out of this place of spiritual stagnation. It's time to move forward. There was another time when uh, Samuel, he was kind of mourning over King Saul. King Saul was a bad king, and uh, uh, Samuel was uh, discouraged about this. And so uh, the Lord speaks to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 1. And it says, The Lord said unto Samuel, How long, everybody say, How long? How long, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel, fill thine horn with oil and go. So God comes to Samuel and says, how long are we going to do this, Samuel? How how long are you going to mourn for Saul? How long are you going to stay in this condition? How long are you going to hold on to this bitterness? How long are you going to stay in this place of spiritual stagnation? Hey, it's time to fill uh, the oil and go. It's time to have some forward motion. And this morning, I want to talk for a few minutes about how we can experience this kind of forward motion. How we can kind of get unstuck spiritually and move forward for the glory and the calling that God has on our lives. We come to the book of Acts. We come to Acts chapter 3. And uh, what I... Uh, believe that we see in Acts chapter number three is uh, the marks of a movement we see a movement in the book of Acts there is this Holy Spirit movement where the church comes onto the scene the 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 ecclesia the called out assembly they are coming together they are worshiping the Lord thousands of people are being saved uh, baptized there is this there is this movement that we see in the book of Acts several months ago our team got together, some of our, our leadership team and staff team, we got together and we were doing some praying and planning for 2020. We were kind of marking out the calendar and we heard a lesson about a movement and an institution which created this conversation that was very healthy for us about the difference between a movement and an institution. I wanted to give you a couple of these thoughts this morning by way of introduction. The differentiation between a movement and an institution. First, we see that a movement is focused on purpose while an institution is focused on procedure. A movement says, hey, let's go get them. An institution says, let's let them come. A movement is people-minded. An institution is program-minded. A movement is about frontiers. An institution is about boundaries. A movement is organic. An institution is manufactured. A movement is about furthering the cause. An institution is about preserving the cause. Now, Both of these things are good, both a movement and an institution. We we see both in Scripture. You have to have both. You have to have the spirit of a movement, but you want the structure of an institution. And you see both in the book of Acts as the church is exploding onto the scene. You see Peter preaching to thousands of people. The Holy Spirit is working. People are responding. There's revival taking place. There's a movement. It's organic. It's real. It's passionate. It's wonderful. But we also see the church institutionalizing, in a sense, in Acts chapter number 6. You remember the the widows were being neglected in the daily administration, so what did the church have to do? Do. They raised up leaders and deacons to establish and to help organize uh, what was taking place in this movement. And so what we see in the book of Acts is there was both a movement that was taking place and an institution. And I want uh, to encourage our church family to never lose that spirit of being a part of a movement. By the way, I believe that at Rock Hill Church, we are in the midst of a movement of God. In 2019, we saw more people saved, more people baptized, more people discipled, more people in small groups than we did in the years before. And that is not for our glory. That's for the glory of God. And we ought to never lose the spirit of, hey, we're in something special. God is moving in our midst. We don't want that to die out. We don't want that to just dwindle and we get comfortable and we stop moving forward. No, we want to move forward and be a part of a movement of God. So we see in the book of Acts that there is this movement that's taking place. The church explodes onto the scene and people are being saved and there's revival. People are literally selling their land because they wanna donate the proceeds to the church and God's doing a wonderful work. And I believe that in Acts chapter three, uh, right when all this is getting started, the day of Pentecost has come and and, uh, uh, in Acts chapter two, Peter preaches, 3000 people are added to the church. And then there's this scene that takes place in Acts three that I believe perfectly embodies the heart of a movement. What we see in this story that we just read are some characteristics There are some marks, if you will, of a movement. And today I want to give us five marks of a movement. Are you ready today? Five marks of a movement. Number one, there will be a consistent pattern. A consistent pattern. Notice verse number one. It says this Now, Peter and John, they went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And so what we see right away in this text is Peter and John, they're, they're going to the temple to pray. But the Bible is very specific and says that they go at the ninth hour. Uh, this would have been around three o'clock in the afternoon that Peter and John, they go to the temple uh, and they're going uh, to pray. This was a set aside, a specific time for them to pray. And what I want us to see is that this was a scheduled time. They had a specific time. They could have prayed whenever they wanted. They could have prayed wherever they wanted. But they set aside a specific and dedicated time, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, to go and pray. And what we see is this was their pattern. This was a consistent pattern that they were doing um, on a daily basis. They would go and they would pray. And so we see that they were making a priority of prayer. Now, now the church, again, uh, the church was... Um, exploding onto the scene again. There was thousands of people being saved, but what we see is Peter and John, they still prioritized prayer. They still prioritized their daily disciplines. They were prioritizing um, the discipline, the spiritual discipline of prayer. At the beginning of this year, I read an interesting book by an author named James Clear, and he talks about Um, the importance of developing habits, and uh, he talks about um, the importance of developing small things that make a big difference, and he uses this analogy, and he uses this illustration, the story of uh, the British cycling team, which didn't win a tour de France for over 110 years, and so the British cycling team was kind of just known for underperformance. They never won, never won, never won, and so they hired a new coach, and this new coach came in, and he says, hey, I'm going to introduce this new strategy, and he called this strategy the aggregation of marginal gains, and he said, what we're going to do is, is we're not going to completely rehaul the system. We're not going to completely start from scratch and say, okay, here's a brand new way of doing things. He says, we're going to identify everything that we can about cycling. And we're going to improve everything that we can. Everything that we can think of, we're going to improve it just by 1%. He says we're not going to improve it all by fifty percent, seventy five percent. We're going to think of everything that we can: the height of the seat, the cushion in the seat, the grips, uh, the air in the tires, everything that you can think of, every screw. How, how we're going to improve everything by one percent? That was their strategy. And in the next five years, uh, the British cycling team went on to win forty percent of the gold, sixty percent of the gold medals in the two thousand eight Olympics. They went on to win their first uh, Tour de France, and they saw this great success. Why? Because they were dedicated to the little things. They said, "Hey, we're going to improve everything by one You want to see God work in 2020 you want to see God do some big things hey be faithful in the little things say hey, I'm going to make a dedicated time to pray and to spend time in God's word I'm going to be faithful in those little things so I can see God do the big things and so that's what we see with Peter and John they are going to the temple they had this pattern the early church had a pattern Acts 2:42 says and they continued everybody say continued they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And so there was this pattern. They were, they were continuing on in what God uh, had called them to do. Psalm 55, verse 17 says this, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. And so there should be consistent times, evening, morning, and, and noon. First uh, Chronicles sixteen eleven says this, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually continually, a pattern. There's a consistent pattern. One of the ways that we can practice, uh, practice this as a church in the new year is this Daniel fast that we're going to be participating in. This is a way for us to say, hey, we're setting aside some time. We're setting aside 10 days. We're going to focus on the Lord's will. We're going to pray. We're going to fast. By the way, the Bible does not say, and Jesus does not say, if you fast. He says, when you fast. And so this is something that we should be doing biblically. And this is one of the ways that we want to have a consistent pattern of prayer and study and faithful to the word of God as we start this year. And so we see Peter and John going to the temple. The ninth hour was a specific time in which they prayed. Now, notice verse number two. It says, and a certain man lay from his mother's womb was carried. Lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily... At the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. And so what we see in verse number two is the complete opposite of what we saw in verse number one. We see in verse number one movement and prayer, and, and they're going. And now we see in verse number two that this man is stuck in his condition. He was, he was uh, uh, born with this uh, crippled nature. And so he was, he was uh, uh, stuck. And by the way, this is a picture of what sin does. Sin immobilizes us. It causes us to be stuck uh, in our situation. Romans 5.12 says this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And, and so uh, that's one thing that we all share and all, all have in common this morning is that we all struggle with sin, and sin immobilizes us, just like this man here is immobilized, and he's laying at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. Now, in real estate, uh, there's a common expression, location, location. Location, right? And uh, that's what's most important in real estate. Make sure that you have the right location. Well, for this uh, crippled man in Acts chapter number three, he had the right location uh, because he was uh, at the Gate Beautiful, the Bible tells us. Now, in and through the temple, there were nine different gates. This was one that was called the Gate Beautiful, and it truly was beautiful. Uh, it was 76 feet tall, it was plated with gold and brass. It took 25 men just to open and close this gate. And so it was a beautiful gate, it was a magnificent sight. And this is where the crippled man uh, decided to say on a daily basis to ask for money, to ask for alms. And I find it ironic that he was at the gate beautiful, but there was nothing beautiful about his situation. You ever feel like you're surrounded by something beautiful, but inside what you're dealing with is ugly? You're surrounded with things that look great and relationships that look great and families and marriages that look great, but on the inside you're struggling? That's where we find this this man, this crippled man, he's at the gate, beautiful, and it's a magnificent sight, but his situation is stagnant. It's ugly. He, he's asking for money on a daily basis. The Bible says this in, in Colossians chapter 4, verse number 2. Continue. Everybody say continue. Continue in prayer and watch in the same thanksgiving. And so while we see that this man was stagnant in the same place, we see John and Peter. They are continuing with this consistent pattern. Uh, They're not stuck. They're developing uh, the little things. They're staying faithful in prayer. And so what we see is a consistent pattern. There's a second element. There's a second mark to a movement. If you're ready, would you say amen? Amen. Number two, uh, there must be a diverse team, a diverse team. Notice verse number three. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked in alms. And so what we see is that Peter and John, they're always mentioned in tandem. Uh, They're always mentioned together. It's always Peter and John. Peter and John. Uh, They did this together. And I love this because Peter and John were completely different. They had completely different personalities, but God used them in a great and special way. And I I think that Peter and John's relationship was actually humorous at times. There was a time uh, when... Uh, Jesus was uh, being very serious with Peter, and he was telling Peter what his future was going to look like, and he was laying out uh, what was going to happen to Peter. It says this in John chapter 21, verse 18. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands. Now, Jesus was signifying the death that Peter would, would die, and he was saying, you're going to stretch forth your hands. He was speaking of a crucifixion. And so Jesus was telling Peter, hey, this is your, this is your future. This is what's going to happen to you. Uh, you're going to stretch forth uh, your, your hands, uh, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. So imagine the scene. Jesus is talking to Peter. He says, Peter, I just want you to know that your future, this is what's going to happen to you. There's going to be a cost. There's going to be a price. There's going to be some suffering involved, signifying what death he would die. Now, now watch this. This is what Peter does. And then Peter, he's thinking about this. He's like, man, this is heavy. Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved. That was John. This is John, in Acts, Acts 3, when he had spoken this, uh, follow me, then Peter turning about, see the disciple whom Jesus loved following, also lean on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee, speaking of John, and Peter saith unto him, Jesus, Lord, and what shall, uh, what shall this man do, <laughs> and I, and I love this scene, Peter's like, man, that, that, that's heavy, what Jesus, is gonna, what, what, what Jesus tell me about my future, then he looks at John, he's like, Lord, What's going to happen to him? Like, 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 uh, that's what I'm concerned about right now. Tell me what's going to happen to John. Uh, there was another time earlier in the same chapter where uh, uh, Jesus was uh, on the shore and the disciples were out fishing. And, and, and they see Jesus there on the shore in John, John 21, verse number 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, and John he wrote John's gospel. He always liked to put that in, right? The one that Jesus loved. He was always like, yeah, I'm the favorite. And uh, uh, therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. And so uh, John had to remind and and to show Peter, hey, hey, this is the Lord here that's coming. That's Jesus staying there. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fishers coat upon him, for he was naked, he wasn't wearing a shirt, and did cast himself into the sea. And I love Peter's attitude and mindset. He was like, that's Jesus? He just jumps into the water. He's like, I'm going to go swim uh, to Jesus. And so while we see John, he had the perception, Peter had the passion to jump out of the boat and to go see Jesus. And so we see completely different personalities. Another time, they heard about the empty tomb, and so they're going to see the empty tomb, they want to see it for themselves and the bible tells us that peter and john were running and john outran peter because apparently peter was a little bit out of shape and so uh, john was the first one to the tomb and peter was the uh, second one to the tomb but peter was the first one to go inside he was the first one to go inside and see And so what we see is peter and john completely different personalities peter was loud john was quiet Peter was kind of crazy. John was calculated. Completely different personalities. But I just want to remind you today that our God is not restricted or confined to work in one particular personality. Hey, we all have gifts. We all have abilities that God wants to use for his glory. And we've got to do it together. There's got to be this team mindset, a diverse team. Hey, it was Peter and John. Peter and John. They were always mentioned together. John never says a word in the book of Acts. Peter's talking all the time. But God used them. God used their gifts for his glory. They did this together. There was a team mindset. The Bible tells us this in Romans chapter 12, verse number 6. Having then uh, gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. See, God has given us all different strengths and abilities that we ought to use for his glory. See, an immature person sees differences and allows those differences to divide. A mature person sees those differences and uses those differences as an opportunity to unite and to develop and to be stronger because of it. Peter and John. It was always Peter and John. They're mentioned in, in tandem together. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4.10, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Can I just tell you this morning, whatever gift that God has given you, whatever ability that God has given you, use that for God's glory. If you can speak, speak for God's glory. If you can sing, sing for God's glory. If you're organized, be organized for God's glory. Uh, Whatever gift God has given you, if you can encourage people, encourage people for God's glory. Use what God has given you to further the gospel and to further the kingdom of God. Peter and John, it was was a team. It was a collective effort. And we've got to strive together for the faith of the gospel. I love what 1 Corinthians 3 says in verse number 5. Who then is Paul? And who was Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed. And as the Lord gave to every man, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And God is still giving the increase today. And we've got to stand hand in hand and shoulder to shoulder and say, hey, we're moving forward together for the faith of the gospel. We're in this together. It's a diverse team. So a spirit-led movement is marked by a consistent pattern. They went to the temple every day, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That was their pattern to pray. A spirit-led movement is marked by a diverse team, Peter and John. This leads us to a third thought today. Uh, Number three, the third mark of a movement. If you're still with me, would you say amen? amen? Number three, a fierce focus. A fierce focus. Notice verse number three. We've seen Peter and John about to go to the temple asked in alms. And so this man, uh, he asks for some money. Now, Peter and John, they might have passed this man a hundred times before. Uh, It was was his pattern to go to the temple daily. It was Peter and John's pattern to go pray. And so they might have passed each other a hundred times. But on this particular occasion, uh, they are going to have a God, uh, a divinely sovereign um, encounter here. Notice verse number four. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. Have you ever made awkward eye contact with somebody? And uh, you just kind of like just you know, have eye contact, and, you know, you keep on looking at that person, and uh, Peter and John, they kind of have this awkward eye contact, this exchange here with, uh, with, uh, with this crippled man. They say, look on us, and it's almost like they're kind of having like a staring contest at this point. I feel like there's this intense focus fastening his eyes upon him. Look on us. There's this intense focus here. I read in Portland, Oregon uh, this past year, they had an official, legitimate, prize included staring contest, and if you won the staring contest, you literally won a trophy with eyeballs, I have a picture this morning. And so if you're interested, go to Portland, Oregon and uh, participate in this, in this contest. But there was this focus here. There was this fastening of eyes, and there was this determination, hey, look on us. And I believe that this represents their focus. Hey, there was a lot going on that day, but Peter and John did not wanna miss this opportunity to minister. And so they focused, they fastened their eyes on this man. Look on us, there was this intensity uh, about them. I believe this, this eye contact represents their, their fierce focus. See, many times I believe we miss out on God opportunities not because we don't have the faith to believe it, but because we don't have the focus to see it. We're constantly being distracted in life. Our schedules distract us. Social media distracts us. Relationships distract us. Work schedules distract us. And we're constantly being distracted and we don't have this fierce focus on what God wants us to do. We don't have the same focus as we used to. We know this is even true scientifically. I read a study that said in the year 2000, before the digital revolution of the iPhone, the iPad, the iPod, our attention span as Americans was 12 seconds. That was our attention span. But now, since the iPhone, the iPod, uh, the the iPad, now our attention span is 8 seconds. So that's our attention span. Just to kind of put that into perspective, an attention span for a goldfish is 9 seconds. So we are losing to goldfish, okay? That is, that is where we're at right now as a society. We're constantly distracted, constantly moving forward, uh, back and forth, looking at this, looking at that. And we're all over the place. And many times we're missing on an opportunity that God has put right in front of us. Yeah, that's true. Peter and John, they, they, they pass by and they, they fastened their eyes on this, on this man in need, this ministry opportunity. They said, look on us. The Bible says, in 1 Corinthians seven thirty five, and this I speak for your own prophet, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye may attend upon the Lord, watch this, without distraction. I wonder if that could be said about our lives, that we're serving the Lord without distraction. You know, uh, whenever you're driving somewhere, maybe you're uh, driving, you're listening to a podcast, or you're listening to some music, and you're driving, having a good time, and then you realize that you're lost, or realize that you missed your exit, or you're turned around a little bit, what's the first thing that you do? You turn down the music, right? You say, oh, I'm lost. I need to let's, let's turn down the music. Let's turn down the podcast because I got to drown out that noise to focus on where I'm going. And some of us today need to turn down the world. We need to turn down the culture and say, I'm going to focus on what God has for me. Hey, that's what the Daniel fast is all about. I'm going to turn down myself. I'm going to turn down the world. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn down all that noise so I can focus on the only thing that really matters. So I can seek first the kingdom of God and then all these things will be added unto me. Hey, that's the kind of fierce focus that we need today. And so Peter and John, they're walking by. They see this man. They fasten their eyes on him. They focus. They say, look on us. So we see their focus. But, but also I see in this passage their flexibility because I think it's interesting and ironic that Peter and John, they never made it to the prayer meeting that day. They're walking. They go to pray. That was their pattern. But they see this opportunity, and that's what they focused on. They focused on this opportunity at hand. See, they allowed God to interrupt their schedule So that God could do something greater. And see, a lot of times, God will disrupt our plans so that he can display his power. And we don't always like the disruption. We don't always like the interruption. We like to stick to our schedule. We like to stick to what we know. But let God interrupt your schedule. Allow God to have editing rights on your calendar, on your schedule, because sometimes God will disrupt that so he can do something greater. And so Peter and John, uh, they, they allow God to work in this moment, and they have this fierce focus on what is in front of them. This leads us to a fourth thought today, the fourth mark of a movement. Number four, a spiritual perspective. If you're still with me, would you say amen? Amen. A spiritual perspective. Notice verse number five. And he gave heed unto them. So the crippled man, he he looks at them. He he, he says, all right, we'll, we'll have this awkward eye contact for a few minutes, right? He looks at them. But watch this, expecting to receive something of them. He was expecting, I'm going to get something. I mean, that's, that's usually what happens when people look at me, right? If they, if they don't want to give me something, they avoid eye contact at all, at all costs, right? Have you ever uh, been driving, and, and uh, uh, there's been someone that's asking for money, and sometimes might, you might go and, and uh, give some money, but maybe you don't have any money, and so you're just trying to avoid eye contact, right? Like, I hope he doesn't uh, look in my window, and you're just kind of like, oh, i got to fix the radio, and, you know, you're trying to avoid eye contact, <laughs> And so when Peter and John, when they make eye contact with him, he's expecting, that's what normally would happen, he would get some money from it. That was his assumption. That was his expectation. And so often in life, we are quick to make assumptions, and we are quick to make, uh, uh, we have these expectations about how we think and how we believe God should operate in our season and in our situation. We're quick to make assumptions. But I believe that assumption is a great enemy to forward motion when we just assume that God is going to work in one way. We're just expecting God to do something. We're just expecting God to work, and we kind of put God in a box, and we limit him. We have these expectations. But this is what Peter says in verse 6. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so Peter says, hey, I don't have any silver or gold, but I do have the power of God in my life. And Peter says, hey, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. See, what the man wanted was money, but what he got was a miracle. He wanted a coin, but what he got was a cure. See, some of you ought to pray that God does not sink to the level of your expectations. Hey, last week we had some cards that says, I'm believing God for. I wonder if we really stretched our faith in those moments and prayed for something big. Or I wonder if we had a limited expectation. I think God can do this. But what if God wants to completely exceed our expectations and do something far greater than we could ever imagine? Hey, if you started believing God and having great expectations for 2020, I believe God would meet you there. He might even exceed those expectations. We've got to have the right mindset. We've got to have a spiritual perspective. Hey, it's not just about what's tangible. God is working in ways that we can't always see. And so uh, this man, he was just expecting to have money, but Peter says there's something far better than that. There's a story of um, uh, 12, uh, in the 1200s, the, the theologian Thomas Aquinas, and he was having this conversation with the Pope. And, and uh, uh, he, was, he was, I believe, at the Vatican. And uh, he was looking at all of, all of the beauty and all, of the, all of the money that went into the Vatican. He was looking at all the, the paintings and everything. And, and uh, Thomas Aquinas was pretty impressed at, at all of this that he was seeing. And the Pope said to him, The Pope looked at Thomas Aquinas and said, No longer do we say silver and gold have we none. And Thomas Aquinas looked at the Pope and he said, maybe that's why we can no longer say rise up and walk. (laughs) And so what he was saying is, hey, we need to get back to having that kind of faith, that kind of spiritual perspective where it's not all about the tangible. It's not all about money. God can do something uh, far greater uh, in our situations. I love what Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Hey, that's a verse that you ought to memorize. That's a verse that you ought to read when you're making some New Year's resolutions. Let's read that again. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Does anybody believe today that our God can still do the impossible, that our God can still do anything? Hey, we ought to increase our expectations and start believing again and start dreaming again. Hey, God can do the miraculous in our midst. We've got to have a spiritual perspective. We've got to elevate that perspective. He was expecting to receive money. What he got was a miracle. This leads us to our fifth point, the fifth mark of a movement. Are you ready? The last one. Number five, a daring faith. A daring faith. If you're still with me, would you say amen? amen? Notice verse seven. It says this, and he took him up by the right hand. Daniel, if you can come up here for a second. And he took him up by the right hand. And he lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. I love this, and I love that Peter displays great faith because he comes to this crippled man, and Daniel's going to be the crippled man. Daniel, if you could lay on the floor for a second, that would be great. He comes to the crippled man, and I love the process of this. There we go. I love the process of this. He comes to the crippled man. This is what it says. Watch what it says. Watch the order of the verse Verse 7. And he took him up by the right hand, and he lifted him up. Okay? Probably more something like that. He, He lifted him up, and then what does it say? And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So when did he receive strength? After Peter picked him up. What if he wasn't healed? What if it didn't work? That would have been embarrassing. He would have fell right back down. See, Peter didn't just wait and kind of look and see. I think he might be healed and kind of watch. I think I saw his toe wiggle a little bit. I think now, I think now I can have him stand up. No, he grabs him, he picks him up and then he was healed. That was a risk. He displayed his faith. What that is is an example of daring faith. I believe that in two Uh, 2020, we ought to get back to that kind of faith where we say, hey, I'm going to step out. I'm going to stretch myself a little bit. I'm going to do something that's uncomfortable. I'm going to take a risk for God's glory. Hey, I'm not going to play it safe any longer. I'm going to believe God for something greater in my life. I'm going to believe God for something greater in our midst. Hey, Peter picked him up and then he was healed. That's See, that's how faith works. How we like to do it is we like to see him healed. Then we'll pick him up. We want to know how everything is going to work out, and then we'll step out, but that's not faith. Peter picks him up. Thanks, Daniel. See, once he displayed his faith, he saw the power of God. Please hear me. Faith is the key that unlocks the power of God. You want to see God's power at work in your life? Step out by faith. Start operating by faith. The Bible says that anything we do in our lives apart from faith, it's sin. sin. You ever pause to think about that? The things that you do on a daily basis that you think you've got it covered, that, hey, I can do this on my own, I can do this with my eyes closed, and you're operating without faith, that's sin. Because anything that we do apart from faith, apart from trusting, apart from relying on God, we're doing it in our own strength. The Bible says that we walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, and not by sight. I want to encourage you in 2020, take a risk. A spiritual risk. Step out by faith. Hey, that might mean inviting that neighbor that you think would never come. Step out by faith. That might mean joining a small group. It might mean starting a small group. It might mean start giving generously and sacrificially to the church. Hey, whatever it is, step out by faith. Take a risk and watch God work in your life. Faith is the key that unlocks the power of God. David Wilkerson, he said this. Today... Some Christians are content to merely exist until they die. They don't want to risk anything to believe God to grow or mature. They refuse to believe his word and have become hardened in their unbelief. Now they're just living to die. I pray that that would never be said about Rock Hill Church. I pray that that would never be said about this movement, about this environment, about this culture, that we are constantly moving forward, that we're not gonna stay stuck, we're not gonna stay stagnant, we're gonna keep on taking risks. We're gonna keep on risking the ocean to see one person pray and accept Christ, because this house, this movement, is all about reaching people with the life-giving and the life-changing message of Jesus. That's what we're all about, and we're willing to risk it all to see it come to fruition to join me in standing this morning as I read these last two verses notice what it says in verse 8 and leaping and leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple And walking and leaping and praising God and all the people saw him walking and praising God so there was this great miracle now miracles in the New Testament they were always done to confirm the message of God's Word they didn't have a completed Bible like we do today they couldn't just turn to the book of Acts and so God would allow uh, these Apostles to uh, do these miracles in order to confirm to confirm the message that was being preached and so all the people saw him walking and praising God now I want you to know that they were praising God they were not praising Peter They were not saying, wow, Peter and John, look at how great they are. No, they were praising God. They were saying, look what God did in our midst. Notice verse number 10. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And I'm praying that we get through 2020 and we look back and we're filled with wonder and amazement at what God did in our midst. And hey, I'm filled with wonder and amazement of what God has already done in our midst over the first three years of our church. We've seen well over 300, almost 400 people pray to accept Christ. We've seen almost 100 people follow the Lord and believers baptism. Hey, God's doing a work in our midst and he's not done yet he's not even close we're just scratching the surface of what god can do in our midst but let's not be comfortable let's not play it safe hey let's be a movement of god that operates for his glory and not our own let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning thanks again for listening today if this message was an encouragement to you let us know You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.